If this word isn't in your description of being a leader, you are not a leader, period. And and I, it didn't really surprise me that this word wasn't in any of the word clouds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Program Life Podcast, where we want our listeners, guests, and myself to learn something new. Every week, I bring in a guest who has a passion for topics related to productivity or mental health. And our guest on this episode today is Craig, a black belt instructor with over 35 years of experience in martial arts and defensive tactics. He's also the founder of PeaceWalker.net which is an online curriculum and community for conflict management, leadership, and defensive tactics. This unique approach helps people to clarify and develop a protector's lifestyle, which enhances every aspect of your personal and professional life. So real quick, before this episode starts, if you're new here, I upload every week on Saturday morning EST, as well as put out extra content on my blog, such as my email newsletter and my key takeaways on each episode. So if you want these goodies, you can just head over to my website, which is programlife.org. Also, it would be great if you could head over and click that subscribe or follow button right now on whichever platform you're using to listen to this. It only takes a second and you'll get notified of all the great content that I provide you guys. And also, just please take your time to leave a rating and review telling me what you liked about this episode the most. It helps support the show and it only takes a few seconds also. So, you can also follow me on Instagram, Yogesh Prabhu 2 and my program life instagram page which is program underscore life underscore and you can also follow me on twitter at yogish prabhu 03 and that is enough plugging for me so sit back relax and enjoy the show all right so craig i'm really excited to have you on the show you're you're a black belt instructor with like over like what 35 years of experience in like martial arts and you know defensive tactics and you're also the founder of Peace Walker. Um, and I'll put a link in the de- description of the podcast if you if your listeners want to check out. Uh, go to peacewalker.net, uh, which is an online curriculum and community for conflict management, leadership, and defensive tactics. And uh, before I get into these questions that I have for you today, I would like to first, you know, thank you for coming on to the show and thank you for your time. Well, I really appreciate you having me, and uh, you have some awesome questions, and I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you. Yeah, same here. All right, let's jump right into the first question. So, like I always start off, could you just tell me briefly, briefly how you got here to where you are now, and you know what what are some key lessons you learned from your journey? I will try to make this brief. <laughs> yeah, um, it seems like my my journey keeps getting longer and longer, and uh, yeah. which is good, I suppose. But it all really started yeah. with uh, with my brother and with my dad. Actually, oh. my brother was love him to death, but he was a bit of an overachiever when it came to picking on me. And my my dad was afraid that I wasn't going to see my 10th birthday. So as a very young Mm. man, my dad, my dad was a Marine and he took uh, martial arts back in the 60s, back in the early 60s when he was stationed in Okinawa and in the Philippines. Um, So when he had my brother and I, he decided, hey, this is probably a good thing to teach uh, 
my boys, especially Craig, me, because my brother was, uh, you know, doing his, doing his brotherly due diligence on, on, on me. And, uh, my dad started teaching me martial arts. And mm. it really resonated with me. And this is back in the days before Karate Kid and before the you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And really, there, there weren't schools mm. out there that taught children. You either were able to hang out with the adults or you didn't train for the most part. It mm. was uh, several years later when, when kids' classes became the predominant type of uh, martial arts class. Uh, in those days, back in the 70s and early 80s, um, you know, most classes were made up of adults. So my dad started me in martial arts. And then uh, I ended up going to a professional school when I was a young man because I was a little bigger for my age and with the experience that my father had given me. Um, it made it easier for me to kind of assimilate into the adult classes. And back with my brother, um, you know, I finally stood up to him. And and just to put it in perspective, too, my brother had substance abuse issues, emotional anger issues. Um, he was in out of the jail when he was a young man, and he took a lot of that that anger and angst out on me to the to the extent of hospital visits and family counseling and mm-hmm. you know this that and the other thing. Um, but so finally, I got to the point in my martial arts training and my age to be mature enough and large enough um, to just stand up to him. And on that day, I had a choice to, you know, either stand up to him or not. And I chose to do that. And he never touched me again after that point. And uh, so martial arts kind of helped to facilitate that. And as time went on, I got the opportunity to start teaching other people uh, when I was a young man because I probably had started so young and I had a little bit of an aptitude for it. And I figured I didn't like being victimized. And I didn't think other people did either. So it was cool to start teaching other people how to protect themselves and empower themselves as well. So that Mm -hmm. led to me getting into executive protection and private security. So I did that for several years. Um, I still do occasional details and that, but mostly I I teach and coach now. But um, we, I got into, you know, competitions and so forth. But what really intrigued me really was the practical side of martial arts and defensive tactics, which led me to kind of um, seeking out inside of me how I could walk a more peaceful life. And, uh, and back in the day when I was in my early 20s, I had some police officers that were students. And they came to me one time and they said, hey, you know, here's what we ran into um, on duty, you know, people resisting arrest or kind of giving them static or physically engaging with them. And they, and they wanted some Mm -hmm. answers and we started to work things out. We started to do scenarios of what they ran into and try to work out, uh, different types of scenarios that would help them. Before you know it, I started getting hired by police academies and police departments and security teams and so forth. So I started doing ride-alongs. And as my experience in the field of executive protection kind of grew, I kind of bridged that gap between the martial arts world and the defensive tactics and practicality of really how do you utilize this perspective in real life. Um, What I also realized, both through my own experience as well as experience with doing ride-alongs with police officers or 
emergency personnel or shadowing like teachers in the classroom or mm-hmm. managers and so forth in their respective businesses, I realized that there's some people who dealt with conflict very well and there was others that didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. myself too, you know, there's ways that if I acted a certain way and said certain things, I could diminish the amount of conflict. But if I did other things, it would escalate things. And uh, mm-hmm. over the years, I developed a, an approach of kind of bottling that, those skills, and realizing that it wasn't just a physical endeavor. It, um, in about the early 90s, 1992, 1994, I created a program called the Psychology of Self-Defense, and I started teaching that. And then later, it, it, it splintered into two factions, um, eventually becoming the Peace Walker program and then uh, also her survival guide which is a, a women's assault prevention program so it's probably a little bit longer story than you wanted to hear and it doesn't <laughs> doesn't fill in all the details of my 30 some or 40 years of training but mm. you know there's a there's a brief overview <laughs> yeah no that was great actually and i guess one of the things like one of the topics that you i guess include in your peace walker movement is leadership and what i'd like to ask um a question that I like to ask to people who are into leadership and uh, who know more about it is who is your favorite leader and why? You know, when I read that question, I thought that was a good question for a couple of reasons. And most people probably answer it maybe a bit differently than I will. Um, mm. Most people probably think of, you know, like a, a, a historic leader or, a you know, the president of a country or, you know, uh, a humanitarian from of global, uh, global recognition, like a Gandhi yeah. or uh, Mother Teresa or, you know, a former president like Abraham Lincoln. And not that those people aren't great people, but I really have to think for me personally, the best leader, and I'll say leaders in my life have been my parents. Mm. And here's why. They led with love, they protected me and they guided me and they led from the front by example. And they mm. really were the first leaders in my life. I didn't know when I was born, I didn't know who the president was. I didn't know anything about, you know, any, any kind of humanitarianism or, or military uh, rewards and anything like this. But, uh, but I did know the love and guidance of my parents and if it wasn't for them, I obviously I wouldn't be here today. But also, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have the perspective that I do and be able to teach the things that I teach. So mm-hmm. I have to put my favorite leader as my mom and my dad. Mm, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's like, I feel like when it comes to leadership, I think emotional connections and like, I guess, um, you know, as you said, loving and caring is really important. And, you know, when it comes to leadership, when you have a team or maybe, you know, in your case, a family, um, it's still really important to have an emotional connection and also have really good communication as well. It is. And not to, not to say that they, they didn't discipline me because they did, you know, they, they did a lot of things in my life that I didn't like. Uh, and that's the mark of a good leader too. Sometimes you have to do the hard thing rather than the easy thing. And, uh, that hard thing is uh, sometimes the right thing to do. Um, and be clear. So that's, but without that love and that communication and that idea of being uh, a protector, you know, protecting those people that you're leading, there is no leadership. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. 
And I guess just coming to the next question, what do you define leadership as? And that is, um, I think I may have a little bit different perspective than most too. So I'll tell you a short story. I'll try to keep it brief. Sure. I was hired one time a few years back to be the keynote presenter at the Michigan Counseling Association. So here I am. I'm in front. Uh, I'm, I'm the keynote of their entire conference. I don't know how many people there were, but there were probably in excess of 500 professionals from all over Michigan with uh, many of them are PhDs in psychology and master's degrees in counseling and so forth. And I don't have a, you know, I have a degree, but I don't have a degree. I don't have a master's degree and I do not have a PhD in psychology. I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. So it was very interesting that they wanted to hire me because they're very um, curious about my approach and, and how I teach everyday people, but how I teach police officers, how I teach military personnel and security teams, but and how I help people to become a protector, a better protector, and a, what I call a peace mm-hmm. walker. So they asked me to do a my uh, my keynote on leadership. So I was putting mm-hmm. together my PowerPoint presentation, and do you know what a word cloud is? Oh, yeah, yeah. So word cloud is, for those of you who don't know, there's usually a main word. In this case, I I chose the word leader, and I went online. And there's a bunch of, Mm. in the cloud, there's a bunch of these associative words. Like with leader, you might have, you know, empathetic and and strong and, you know, understanding and listening skills and all these other words or phrases that dealt with leadership. But but Mm. do you know the one word that they, that I could not find in one of these leadership or one of these word clouds. And if you don't have this one word, if this word isn't in your description of being a leader, you are not a leader, period. And mm. and I, it, it didn't really surprise me that this word wasn't in any of the word clouds. But the funny part is, is this, so this little search that I had for this word cloud and why this particular word is so important became my whole keynote because most Mm. people don't think of it and when they hear it they can't not think of it if that makes sense right so most people it won't be at the forefront of their mind but once they hear it they're like well of course it's so intuitive like the elephant in the room it is right it's is definitely like that so here's the word it's simply this protector no word called mm. that I that I found did I that I see the word protector in with the word leader, and if you are not a protector, if you don't protect the interests and the individuals and the success and all this of the individuals that you're leading, you are not a protector. You could be a manager. You could be you could be someone who has to oversee the performance of people. But you will not be a real, true leader. If if you don't protect those people that are following you, you are not a leader. And my guess is the people who are following you, once they realize that you don't have their best interests at heart, once you, they realize that you are not really a protector and a protector of them, they will cease to see you as a leader. They may see you as a manager. Mm. You know, they may have to follow you. Like if it's a job, it's like, well, okay, I've got a choice. This guy I don't like, he's a jerk. He doesn't have my best interests at heart. But, you know, if I don't do what he says, he's going to fire me. So, you know, through this intimidation kind of tactic, you have to stay, you know, kind of under him, so to speak. But you are not mm-hmm. a true leader. 
So that mm-hmm. is, if I wanted to think of a definition of leader, I guess it goes with this idea of being a protector. You've got to protect the people that you're leading and do it authentically. And you have to lead from the front. You have to lead by example. Mm-hmm. That that you inspire people to do what they do. You don't force people to do what you do. Um, not to say you can't. And it's not to say sometimes you've got to, you sometimes have to be stern. You sometimes have to be, um, have that tough love. However, you still have to be a protector. It's got to be for the best interests of the individuals. Mm -hmm. And they've got to see you emulate what you're trying to lead. Mm, Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting way. Because I've never heard anyone say like the word protector as well. You know, like, as you said, it's like the elephant and um, elephant in the room and it's like you know it's something that we don't really think about when we think about leadership and i guess when it comes to leadership would what would be your advice to like people who are you know uh, getting into leadership positions for the first time or like you know like um leading some leading by example for the first time what do you think they should do um in order to you know protect and lead their team or family Start with the why. I think there's a book about that. <laughs> I can't remember who wrote it, <laughs> but start with the why. Um, there's another famous quote that isn't always um, – it's famous, but in certain circles, it's not really – I don't think a lot of people know it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slaughter it, so I'll tell you, so I'll tell you the, uh, the gist of it is if you have to lead a crew of people to make a boat, don't mm-hmm. – Teach them about, you know, the boat, teach them a love for the sea, inspire Mm. them to love the sea and making the boat will be easy. Mm. Obviously you need the skills to make the boat, you know, they have to be craftsmen and and so forth. However, you know, to really make, to make a good boat, you have to have a love for the sea and an understanding of that. So you leaders out there, you potential leaders out there, you know, Start going into it by how can I serve? How can I make these people successful? How can I protect these people from the things that they need to be protected of? How can I help these people to be the best that they can be? How can I make them shine? Because they will then in turn make me shine. How can I empower Mm -hmm. them to do the best that they can do and inspire them on the why they're doing what they're doing? There's a, there's a, it kind of reminds me of this story, right? So there's a, if you can imagine the Cathedral of Notre Dame mm-hmm. took hundreds of years to build. Yeah. So let's say back in time, the foreman goes out on the, on the quarry as they're, you know, as these guys are, are chipping away at these, at these stones to make the building blocks of the, of the cathedral. And he asked one guy, Hey, How's the day? How's it going today? You know, what's going on? Just checking in on you. And he's like, man, it's a hot day. I'm chipping away at these stones to make this foundation for this building. I, I won't even see that when it's going to be fully built. It's hot. These stones are heavy. You know, I'm glad I had to, to that I have a job, but holy cow, this is ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, okay, Bob, I get it. You know, it's a hot day and all that. Tell you what, if you need a break or something, we'll get you a break and just let me know how I can help. Goes to the next guy. The next guy is like, man, 
you know, it's a hot day. I'm chipping these stones, but you know, I think it's pretty cool because this contract is going to go on for my entire life lifespan. And it's such a big contract. It's going to, it's going to provide sustenance for my kids and their kids. So as long as I do a good job, you know, I can keep a roof over my head and food in my belly and, and my kids will have a job and their kids will have a job. So, you know, it's a pretty good day. So, so the foreman's like, Oh, okay, well, Hey, let me know Stan if I, and if I can do for anything for you and, you know, keep going. And then Stan goes to the next person and he says, you know, how's it going? And, you know, can I help you with anything? And John, the last guy says, you know what? It's a great day. And here's why, you know, I'm making the foundations to this great learning center that is going to inspire people to think big thoughts. And this, even though I'm not going to see the completion of this, this building that we're constructing is going to inspire people for generations and generations to come. And I get to be a part of building the foundation to this great place that is going to inspire millions of people from all over the world to be better people. Mm. So, so John knew the why, right? Yeah. The, the bigger why. Stan, mm-hmm. the middle guy, you know, he saw a little bit bigger picture of, you know, just what the work would bring in, that stability in life and it was creating success for him and his family and his family's families and so forth. And then good old Bill, the first guy, or Bob, the first guy, you know, he just saw the work. He didn't really see the bigger picture. So who do you mm. think is going to be easier to lead? Who do you think is going to be easier to um, manage? Who do you think is going to be easier to get good work performance out of? It's going to be John because John sees the yeah. bigger picture. He's excited about what that work that he's doing, that that toil and struggle every day of that hard labor under the hot sun, you know, lifting those big stones, he, but he sees the bigger picture. So mm-hmm. if you can inspire the people that you're leading to see that bigger picture and not just the day-to-day struggles and, you know, the work that goes into it, uh, you're going to be a better leader. And then if you can lead from the front and by example, and the people know that, that you've got their back and they're protected and they can come to you. And even though you may have to do some hard things that you're going to be fair with them and have their best mm. interests at heart, even if they don't see it in the moment, you're going to live a better life and you're going to be a better leader. Mm, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Cause like, I think when it comes, it kind of relates to productivity in a way. And like, um, to be more productive in life, I feel like you need to have like, some kind of some sort of fun while you're doing the work that you do and you know you should enjoy what uh the work that you're doing and obviously you know know the end goal and things and i think that all tied up with your story really well and i guess another important um aspect of life in general i guess is mental health and i wanted to ask you when it comes to mental health especially in this generation what do you think is the biggest problem causing causing it in our society and why? Well, that's a good, another good question. You, you have a lot of good questions. I, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this, question, this question, I think, has really come out with, in the past year and a half with the pandemic. And, yeah. and I don't know your listeners on where they're from, but here in the United States, the, last year this time, we had riots from coast to coast because of 
uh, social issues and a lot of unrest and a lot of political political um, strife and people picking sides and a lot of conflict, uh, which caused a lot of mental issues. A lot of people, a lot more suicides, a lot more substance abuse problems, a lot more divorces. Um, and a lot of it, I really feel, boils down to balance. Having mm. a balanced perspective, having a balanced lifestyle, getting enough of everything that you need. And, and the basics are what? The basics are you know, getting enough sleep, getting enough rest exercising yeah getting having good diet you know not eating junk all the time having good healthy relationships um, understanding and being empathetic towards other people and one one of the big things with mental health I think because as we know therapy is very popular right now therapy and it's not that it's not mm. necessary it is but therapy is all about the you it's about yourself and at some point, Sometimes, oftentimes, it's good to start thinking about others. So mm. service, service of others. A lot of times you'll see your own problems go away when you start to develop a balanced, a balanced lifestyle. And when you start to think about serving other people. Yeah. So not have it be just about you. Um, I think what happens is we become very isolated in many ways. We become isolated in our our social circles, become isolated in our beliefs, and it's it's good to have differences, but we have to see beyond those differences to our similarities. Um, and what happens, mm-hmm. I think, with our new technology, new technology mm-hmm. is very powerful in both negative yeah. and positive ways. I mean, the fact that you and I are having a conversation is due to technology because you are yeah. what you, you said you, you live in Malaysia right now. Uh, yeah, Brunei. So you live in Brunei. I live in Michigan in the United States. We are thousands of miles away from one another. The way that we met Polar was online. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, so that is a wonderful thing. You know, we're getting along, we're talking, we're talking about these big, deep issues. Um, we're able to see past our differences and we're able to connect as human beings. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, also with the internet, you can really become more tribal too. You can get into small groups and small thinking and the way that the algorithms work for marketing and for, um, you know, kind of how big tech both markets to us, but also it, it can put us in these little bubbles of, of, um, just thinking and talking and reading about and listening to viewpoints that are just like ours. And sometimes mm-hmm. these things, unfortunately, can be weaponized, uh, both intentionally and unintentionally. So we have to make sure that we continue to, I think, explore those those resources and and stay strong. So do things outside of the technological bubble that we're in. And also, um, you know, Reach out to people that aren't like you, that don't see the same that, as you do, and try to continue to uh, see their sameness, recognize yeah. their differences, but but see through those, and don't just you know. It's so easy nowadays to to troll and to uh, hate online because there's not that personal yeah. connection deeper than uh, I, people would say things online that they would never say face to face. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, I, I feel like it's more of like 
us realizing that we need to know the bigger picture and the bigger story. It's like when it comes to, um, you know, for example, hating some other person online or like just because like all we see online is just, I guess, their best version or like, you know, just a version or like one face, one side of themselves. And like, where else? It's like it's like the tip of the iceberg, you know, there's still a lot that we don't know about them. And it's like, I think that's one of the, also the main things that also affects our mental health in a way. Cause like how I like to think of it is like, for example, if a friend doesn't invite you to a birthday party and you're pretty sad about that for the next like couple of days. And then he comes back and he says, Oh, I didn't invite you cause it was canceled. Cause my grandma passed away or something like that. And then you feel like a bit, a bit happy, but then you feel a bit sad for your friend as well. But it's kind of like thinking of the bigger picture and like not not narrowing down into like or not assuming things about people and things like that. But yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know I, I've had uh, been fortunate to be able to travel all over the world. Um, you know I travel probably more than most, less than some. But uh, since the pandemic, that's been really curtailed. But um, but I travel a lot for my work, and I also mm-hmm. like to travel for pleasure and. I've been all over the world with all different cultures. And in my viewpoint, there is two kinds of people. There are nice people who are caring, and that's most of them. I think you know, mm-hmm. 90, probably 98% of the people out there are beautiful, wonderful people. Even if they think differently than, than I do, believe differently than I do, have a different political view or religious view than I do, uh, they're still people and they'll give you the shirts off their backs and they'll invite you into their home and, and feed you and help you if you're in need of help. And there's 2% of the people that are just jerks, you know, and, uh, mm, yeah. and they come in all creeds and <laughs> colors and sizes and backgrounds and yeah. ethnicities. And, uh, and unfortunately those people tend to get, I think, uh, more attention. Yeah, Be- yeah. Because they, they yell the loudest and they're they're the most flamboyant and they direct a lot of attention. But most of the people that I've run into, even if they come across on online as jerks, they often when you scratch beneath the surface, most of the time they uh will connect with you and they're good human beings. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I guess going back to when you talked about balance, I think balance is one of the hardest things to get to i feel like we all can get to balance sometimes but like it's hard to maintain it in a way do you have any advice to like maintain balance in life with like everything like exercise health you know relationships uh, work things like that yes it's what i call building a protector's lifestyle being a peace walker Mm. um keeping things in in priority there's a there's a great story called the jar of life and there's this teacher and this teacher comes into class and he put he or she puts down a big jar and you know she's got these golf balls and she's had marbles and she has sand and then there's two cups of coffee so the teacher says okay so if you just fill up the jar with sand you'll never fit in the bigger things right Mm-hmm. So if I fill up the jar with sand, I'm never going to fit in the marbles and I'm not going to fit in the the golf balls. So if you imagine that the golf balls are like the big things in your life. So you've got to have the priorities of what are the big things in your life, like your health. Your mm-hmm. health is a big thing, right? If you take care of yourself, you don't take care of yourself, where are you going to live? 
Mm-hmm. You only have one yeah, body, true. you know, mentally, <laughs> emotionally. So if you abuse yourself by doing, you know, just neglecting yourself physically or emotionally or psychologically, uh, diet wise or sleep or bad relationships, you know, you're, you're not going to, um, you're not going to survive and it's not going to be a fun ride. So you've got to pick mm-hmm. those big things in life that are meaningful, like your health, your relationships, like with your significant other, um, you know, the big things, maybe your, you know, if you're a religious person, maybe your religion and your, 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 uh, philosophy mm-hmm. on life. So those are big things. You can get new, another job, you can get, you know, other, hobbies and so forth but you know if you neglect those big things in life like your family and your health and that mm. that bigger view on life you're you're going to struggle so those are the golf balls so you put those in first so those take first priority how make sure that you can take care of yourself make sure that you're taking care of your big relationships make sure that you're staying healthy in your big perspective um, of life and then you'll notice that there's space in between those golf balls Mm-hmm. So like things like your job and, you know, maybe you, you know, you got to feed your dog and stuff like that. Cause you don't want to, you know, you want to neglect your dog yeah. and you've got friends and you've got your personal social life and so forth. So now with the time that you have left from those big things, you can pour the marbles in and those marbles will fit in between those big golf balls. And you notice that, Hey, you can fit both those things in. And even though the, the uh, jar looks full, well, you've got sand and you can pour that sand like those are your the little things in life. The, you know, maybe some of your hobbies and some of some of your more frivolent things in life that, you know, going online and, you know, playing, I don't know, Black Ops or something or whatever mm. video game that you like playing. Yeah. And, you know, some of those things that are just very, you know, they're kind of like frosting on the cake, so to speak. And you pour mm. you pour that sand in and that fits in between the marbles, the, you know, the the important things, but not quite as important as the, those big, those big golf balls. And then mm-hmm. again, it's like, wow, I can't, it doesn't look like it can fit any more in, which leads us to the two cups of coffee. So every once in a while, someone would come up to you and say, Hey, you know, uh, you know, a friend or in my case, like a student or, or someone who, who looks to me uh, for guidance sometimes, or just to, for a little camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And, Sometimes you want to turn that person away because, you know, there's millions of things to do in your life and we're always busy, but Mm. you'll see that your jar is full, but you always have time for a cup of coffee with someone or, or a glass of beer, depending on who it is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And you can take those two cups of coffee and pour those in the jar and wow, now it's really full. But taking that time to talk to that person, to listen to their uh, their place in life or maybe their worries or maybe giving them a little encouragement. Or maybe it's you. Maybe it's you that needs a little bit of encouragement and you go to somebody mm-hmm. else. But there's always room in that jar of life to fit two cups of coffee. So – so there you go. So there's a life, the the jar of life tie-in. You got your big things, like your relationships and your health, and your maybe your your religion or your perspective on life. And then you got the other important things, like your job and you know the maintenance of your house and all this other kind mm. of important stuff. And then you've got 
the sand, which is your hobbies and kind of more kind of frivolous things in life that are important too, but not as important as the Mm -hmm. marbles like your job and definitely not as important as your health and your big family relationships and so forth. And then never forget that you have time for someone else to listen to them and to encourage them and to help them on their journey. So, Mm. So there you go. Yeah, that's a that's a really nice analogy. I really like it. And like, how would you put this into like practice? I guess do you like set goals for each one, or how would you like aim to, I guess, achieve almost not success, but like achieve, um, you know, a high standard for each you know each part of your life, and uh, you know, be happy as a whole. How would you put that into practice? What would you actually do? I do. I and a simple like on my day to day life. I may I have a very mm-hmm. very simple process, and that is I take out a three by five card and I write down what needs to get done, mm. and then I go. I'm I'm a huge list person, and it always goes back to your why. Um, and then being able to prioritize what's necessary, like for instance, this like this interview that we're doing right now, mm-hmm. you know, I had to put off other things and you did too, to do this interview. So mm-hmm. we had to put off other things. So as a day to day thing, I, I get out, I get out my, my card, same thing for the week. I've got a card for the, another card for the week, believe it or not, I've got an eight and a half by 11 card for the, for the year and, and five years. For instance, when I've, when I made the dedication to put together the Peace Walker Online Learning Center, um, I had to put off other things, but I had to have the foresight to do that. So that particular membership site and training site took me over a year to develop, even before I unleashed it to my community. And it has taken several years to kind of build the momentum to really be prosperous. Um, Mm. In the meantime, I had to, I had to back off on some other things. In that case, it was back off on my speaking engagements. So I really had to take a look at what is important to me and what, in this case, you know, I I earn a living through training people. Mm -hmm. I used to be in corporate America. Uh, 12 years ago, I made the decision to get out of corporate America and to do what I do now full time. I've always done it mm-hmm. as part of my life, but it always, didn't always bring in the, the bacon enough to pay all my bills. So uh, mm-hmm. back in 08 uh, and 09, I was downsized from the company that I was working for. And I had some other offers, but I decided, huh, you know, I really wanted to get out of the whole corporate life and build a more fulfilling life for myself and i had some good ideas how to do that but it wasn't until the the economic downturn and the downsizing that really kind of gave me the the push out and then i had to look at well what did i want my life to look like yes i want i needed to earn income and so forth but i also wanted to have a a livelihood that meant more to me and that really I was able to influence people and help people with both just in my day-to-day life, but also in mm-hmm. my, you know, in the organizations that I had um, on the side that are now sustaining me uh, financially. Mm-hmm. But now I was able to do so much more because I could do it full time. It gave me opportunities that would not have had doing it uh, part time, but I had to plan that out. 
So I had to prioritize, well, well how, how the heck am I going to both make an income and set and build my life mm. that was fulfilling to me? Um, so I had to make my longer-term goals. And then from those longer-term goals, I created short goals that I had to, had to um, make intermittently to, to get to that bigger goal. And then on the small mm-hmm. part, it's like, well, how did I get, how could I accomplish those goals? If you think about it like this, um, the ethic of being a protector and, and, and respecting life is going to drive mm-hmm. your objective. You know, what is your objective in the moment? And that's going to mm-hmm. drive your strategies and your strategies drive your tactics and your tactics then drive your techniques. So if it's a business, like when I work with corporations, Everybody has a mission statement, and those are great. However, do the mm-hmm. policies and procedures represent that mission statement? And does that mission statement represent the you know protecting and respecting the value of life? And I know it sounds a little cliche, but you know if if your mission statement and your main purpose for being in business doesn't reflect and respect the idea and help someone to live a better life and to be a better person than that you're protecting them in that manner, you're not going to have a very good business plan. Mm, so once yeah. you develop that, that ethic of, well, how do I, how in my little slice of the world, how do I make someone's life better? How do I help someone to protect themselves? You know, and, and in some ways it's very obvious, right? If you're a police officer or a medical professional or a teacher, it's pretty obvious. I think of how that you're pr- protecting life. Um, yeah. It may get it may get a little bit more fuzzy. Like for instance, there's a company um, over here in the United States. It's called DTE Energy. They provide either gas or electric for for um, all the houses in the United States. And uh, I, they hired me numerous times to come and do conflict management sh- uh, programs for them. And uh, so I'm talking to the meter readers, the, the people who come to the houses and read the meter so they can be billed properly. So I asked them the same question. I said, okay, how do you protect life? And they, at first they looked at me like, I'm crazy. It's like, what do you mean how do you protect life? I read a meter. That's what I do. Hmm. And I said, well, <laughs> I, I can understand that you might not think you protect life, but how does your job protect the life and respect the life of other people? And they put them together in groups and they kind of thought about it. And then slowly one person said, well, you know, one time I was, I was reading the meters and I smelled gas. And I, I smelled gas and I knocked on the door and the inside of the house smelled like gas because there was a leak apparently. And I evacuated mm-hmm. those people and we called, you know, um, we called the repair crew to come out and make sure that they were able to repair it and get the gas, pump the gas out of the house so that it would be safe for them. So, you know, I potentially saved those people's lives. And, uh, and they're like, oh, okay, well, that's one, very, that's one really cool way. And another person then raised their hand and goes, well, you know, I read the meters of families that don't have a lot of resources. They're kind of underprivileged and, you know, they, they don't have a lot of money. So if I read the meters wrong – because their budget is on such a, they're on such tight budgets. If they get billed mm-hmm. wrong, and then all of a sudden they have this huge bill come because I didn't read the meter right. You know, it could really wreck their lives. It could really make it difficult for them. So I help to protect them through reading their meter correctly and doing my job well. 
So next thing you know, I I start hearing all these other stories of how people, how these people were protectors of their clients. And Mm -hmm. just like the story that I was telling about the the Cathedral of Notre Dame, Mm -hmm. what do you think it did to the morale of those people that, that I was, that we were talking with when, when we connected their job to protecting the sanctity of life? Do you think they had, Mm. do you think they wanted to do their job better? Do you think they now were a little bit more excited to go into, into their work? Because, wow, some of them really could see the aha moment of them. Wow. I really see the connection of my job makes a difference in someone's life versus Mm. someone's like, eh, you know, I just go in and I read meters. It's a crap job, but you know, I need to keep a roof over my head. So, you know, I try not to get fired. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes people can be difficult when I come out on their property and they want to kick me off. And I'm like, just get off my back. I got to read your meter. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it helps to connect them to that bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with goals, right? When you see the why of what you're doing. And in my case, you know, when, when I was transitioning from corporate America to being a full-time self-employed and full-time entrepreneur, that why was really driving me. It wasn't because I wasn't making a living. I was earning a, a great living um, being in corporate America, but but I really, my why was suffering. So I was able mm. to make, make my plans uh, starting with that why, but then backtracking and, okay, I need to develop this program. What's it going to take to develop that program? Okay, mm. just like when I was putting together my uh, the one of the flagship programs that I have is the Peace Walker Evolution program, which is a, you know, it's a 30 day program. So I knew I wanted that to be the flagship. So in order for me to really unleash my, my, uh, uh, membership site, I had to have that flagship program developed. Mm-hmm. So from that program, it's like, Oh, I know it's going to be a 30 day program. Here are the, here are the, here are the goals that it needs to, to, uh, obtain or help you to achieve. And then it's like, okay, so each day I have another video and another training training portion to lead up to giving you the skills or helping you to develop those skills that are necessary for doing what we want mm-hmm. to accomplish. So that kind of set my my priorities, which also set my goals for what I needed to accomplish mm-hmm. during the day. And then it was like, okay, I wanted to get this program out in certain X amount of weeks. So what did I have to do every day to make that happen? Yeah, that's that, that was a great way to put it. And I guess when it comes to, um, you know, your 35 years of experience in martial arts and defense tactics, could you give us, you know, five important lessons that you learned from those from that experience? Number one, who are you going to choose to be? Are you mm. going to choose to be a victim? Or are you going to choose to be a protector and a peace walker and someone who is empowered? Can you see the identity inside of yourself as being a protector? First off of yourself. So who are you going to be? That's a choice. Mm-hmm. What are you going to see in other people? Sometimes people do bad things. Sometimes people do things that are harmful to you. But can you see, still see through that to them as a human being and respect their life value, their value as a human being, while you simultaneously 
deal with and manage appropriately their behavior if you have to. And I learned that in those lessons with my brother, really. I saw and I loved my brother, but I didn't like being abused by my brother. So I had to stand up to him, but but I didn't want to demonize him and dehumanize him because I loved him as my brother. Now you just mm-hmm. have to take take that sentiment and spread it out to everybody. So who are you going to choose to be? Are you going to be a protector? Are you going to be a peace walker? Or are you going to live the life of a victim? What are you going to choose to see in another person? Are you going to see them as a human being and appropriately separate and manage their behavior if you have to? Or are you going to dehumanize them and are you going to demonize them and, and turn it to be hate and ugly? In my training, I've learned that you have to have clarity. Clarity of that, what we're talking about, of the other individual and that life value. But also the skill and the courage to deal with the conflict. So mm-hmm. you've got to develop the skills yeah. to be to, to verbally de-escalate things and to negotiate and to communicate and to physically defend yourself too, because that's going to give you the courage to be more open and more empathetic and more compassionate for others because you're not going to be coming out of this place of fear. If you come out of a place of fear, you're more apt to either shun people, you're going to be more apt to be afraid of people uh, who are dissimilar than you, and you're going to mm-hmm. probably cause more conflict. Mm-hmm. So, which brings us to the last point, is it's often called the serenity prayer, but you don't have to be oh, religious. Yeah. You, don't, you don't have to be religious to, to believe in it, but, you know, have the serenity to I've accept the it, things yeah. that you cannot change. Right. Mm. Have the courage to change the things that you can and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm. So those are the things that that my journey has brought me. Fortunately for me, I've ran into wonderful mentors, starting with my parents and then my grandparents and and martial arts instructors over the years and, and teachers and other other people that just have come into my life at the right time to mentor me. And gaining the skills and the capacity to to be a more loving, peaceful person, which starts on the inside of us. You know, the idea of training for me has been I train so I can be a nicer person and develop a better life. So I feel safe and I can bring safety and security to people around me. So wherever I go, everyone's a little bit safer because they're there. This idea of Many people, I think, when they take martial arts or defensive tactics, they, they, it's easy to get into this out-thug-the-thug mentality. And if your only tool is a hammer, not only do you start looking for nails, but you also start creating more nails. So you may be mm. part of the problem. Mm. So those are some of the things that I've learned along my way, that uh, developing yourself inside and developing that, that working on yourself from the inside out, you have to develop the peace inside of yourself in order for you to handle the conflicts outside and do it in a more peaceful way, if possible. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, as you said, the serenity, the serenity prayer, it really does relate to stoicism, which is one of my favorite philosophies of life. And, Mine as um, well. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I guess like, you know, Marcus Aurelius and, you know, all the other Stoics, they, they've been 
really inspirational for me. And I think the way that they think has really helped me throughout the pandemic and everything. And it, it kind of just like opened my eyes to like a different perspective of the world. And is it was really nice. It was a really nice change to it. So yeah, I definitely agree on, on the last one. And I guess um, over your time, over your 35 years and, you know, over your lifetime, I guess, what are some of your favorite books or resources that you'd recommend the listeners to check out? And what are the things that you learned from them? Well, I think um, I've met, I, I'm an avid reader. I've read many, many things. And if I had to boil it down to just a few, which is very difficult, <laughs> there's a lot of, lot of good inspirational <laughs> stuff out yeah. there. Uh, one is reach out to one of my mentors and my friends and my teachers. Jack Hoban wrote a book called The Ethical Warrior. And it's a great book about being a protector, being a warrior, and doing it from the right heart and with the right perspective. And he gleans, he's a Marine. He was one of the Marines that helped to develop the the program MCMAP, which is a Marine Corps martial arts program. It's a hand-to-hand combative system that's still being used by the Marines today. Jack is still a uh, uh, instructor of MCMAP. Uh, he's an adjunct instructor. And his teacher was a man by the name of Dr. Robert Humphrey, who was a Marine uh, on Iwo Jima. So back in World War II, for those of you history buffs out there, uh, in the United States here, there's a very iconic picture of some Marines hoisting up a flag on Mount Iwo Jima, or on Mount Sarabachi on Iwo Jima, the island of mm-hmm. Iwo Jima during World War II. And his unit was, was protecting and securing that perimeter. And uh, he developed... After the war, he wanted to know why people were kind of hell-bent on killing one another. So he went to Harvard and got a a degree in natural law. And that really didn't answer his question. So he went back to school, to the the Fletcher School of Diplomacy, to get his uh, JD. It's kind of the equivalent of a PhD in cross-cultural conflict management. And then he worked for MIT for a while as an instructor. And then the State Department hired him, uh, the Department of Defense here in the United States, and he, for the next 35 years, during the Cold War period of time, it was his job to go to all these military installations that the United States had all over the world and try to help better relations between the GIs there and even some of the, the diplomats there and the indigenous people um, of the countries that we were in. Because we weren't always looked very favorably upon um, in those days, as as we are not always now, too. And it was it was Humphrey's job to really kind of get in there and help them work out the problems. And he developed this idea of the universal life value and the dual life value that I speak of in reference to uh, during this entire podcast. Um, mm. So Jack tells of his experience because Humphrey died in I think ninety seven. And uh, Mm -hmm. Jack kind of picked up the torch of this warrior ethics training and this protector training from this this heart of being a uh, a peaceful warrior, so to speak. And Jack tells a lot of those stories in that Ethical Warrior book. And uh, it would be very inspirational for people, even if you're not a martial artist, even if you're not in the military or law enforcement field. But just it, it, it will help to clarify what it is to live a protector's lifestyle and why it's so important because we have many differences, but there's one thing that we all have in common is that we deal with people every day Mm. and with people comes conflict and we have to learn how to better handle those conflicts. 
So yeah. the second book I would say is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, and yeah. and Viktor Frankl was, for those of you who don't know, he was uh, in the Holocaust. He was a doctor, a uh, psychiatrist, I believe. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. his entire family was killed in the Holocaust in one of the death camps, mm. Auschwitz, I believe. And he did make it out. And so he spent the rest of his life kind of researching this idea of, of genocide and and so forth. And he wrote a book called The Man's Search of Meaning about his experience in the in the uh, concentration camps and afterwards. Uh, it's, a, I think, a foundational book that everyone ne- needs to read. It's kind of a heavy book, but uh, very mm, inspirational, yeah. I think, in, in other ways. And, and how many people who survived the Holocaust – committed suicide or they would never talk about it or they you know they just it did it made them very callous towards towards the Mm. world in many ways and victor took that experience and he used it for the benefit of mankind and he went and he taught about it and and he told stories and he used it to help people understand i think also part of his healing experience as well um, so I think that's another very, very inspirational book that, that is instrumental in being a protector and being mm-hmm. a leader and just being a human being. So those are two. And then the final, I mean, I could go on and on and on about things. Um, uh, well, I'll sneak one more in there. Another one is <laughs> Joseph Campbell's The Power of Myth. So it was oh. Joseph Campbell is one of my early mentors. I never met the man. Uh, when I found out about him, it was shortly after he passed away. He passed away in 1987. The Power of Myth, I think, came out in 1988. It was a Bill Moyers um, interview series made up of several interviews. But it's uh, it's really indicative, I think, of the human experience. It gets a lot into philosophy and beliefs and, and this idea of how even though we're very different, we're also very much the same as human beings in our journey. And he calls it the hero's journey. Um, but I would say seek that out. You can get um, transcripts of it in a book, or I would recommend get the video series and check that video series out. I think there's six or eight uh, videos to that. And each each video delves into a different perspective. But it really was very influential in my life very early on as a young man. And uh, I think it would be inspirational for anybody who who watched or read that. And then finally, the final one is the essential Kelvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson. Mm. It's a it's a comic strip, and <laughs> why? Because it's very insightful, but it's also very humorous. And I, we always have to remember to take life with a light heart. And we're only going to be here for a short period of time. And we try to leave it a little bit better than we found it in. But, you know, we need humor to do that. So humor can help us get through the toughest of problems, both big problems as well as our own personal problems. So those are my four recommendations. Mm, Yeah, those are really good recommendations. Some of them I have um, read and I do know about, but a lot of them I did not know about. So I will definitely um, get into reading some of them as well. And I guess now to wrap up this episode, I would like to ask one last question, which I always do at the end of each episode. We relate back to a topic that we talked about earlier today uh, to a favorite quote of mine. And I want to know your opinion on this quote, which links to the topic we talked about earlier today 
which is, you know, mental health and being a protector, leadership. And I guess normally I would give a quote from like a really like well-known, very, you know, knowledgeable person, not knowledgeable, but like more of like one of those, you know, um, people that, that are well-known in the productivity or like in the self-improvement universe, such as, you know, Tony Robbins and things like that. Sure. Um, but this one, I wanted to take it, take a different turn and, you know, give you a quote from some, one of my favorite rappers at the moment, which is Juice World. And, um, he said, no matter what you got to try your hardest to be positive and the type of energy you put out in the world is critical. So what is your opinion on this quote and how does it apply to your life and the work that you do? Well, I think it's a wonderful quote and it applies with everything that I, that I, that I do. Mm, Um, because here's the thing, I'll match a quote with a quote and then I'll kind of elaborate a little bit, but (laughs) Charles Swindoll said, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how respond, how we respond to it. And Mm. I remember that quote in, in my junior high boys locker room, there was this huge banner that said that quote, you know, so here I am sixth grade. So how about that put me like, I don't know, 12 years old or something like that, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing that it was probably for one of the sport teams or something, but I never, ever, ever forgot that. And I think it really speaks to the quote that you had, that you had said as well. But, you know, life is really not, how do you want to say, life is what you make of it, a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So life is going to happen. And a lot of it's how you respond to it, just like Viktor Frankl, right? He, this is a, I'm slaughtering his quote too, but, you know, kind of to paraphrase it, you know, the largest of freedoms that any one of us has is the freedom to choose how we are going to respond to a circumstance. Mm. Sometimes we don't have any control over what's going to happen to us. Many times we do. But regardless, if we do or don't, how we choose to respond to that makes all the difference. And that is huge in conflict management and in protecting yourself and protecting other people is this idea of using conflict as an opportunity. Mm. Can you use conflict as an opportunity to see exactly what needs to be done? So if you're not part of the problem, that situation or that individual or those groups of individuals will tell you exactly how they need to be managed. If you can get out of your own way and not be the problem yourself. Mm. But if you're part of the problem, you will never see the solution. You'll never, never, Mm -hmm. never see that solution. So, so I'll leave you with this. It goes back to Dr. Robert Humphrey. He had a warrior's creed that he lived by Jack shared it with me and I wanted to share it with you and all you listeners out there. And that is this, wherever you go, everyone is a little bit safer because you're there. Wherever you are, anyone in need has a friend. And whenever you return home, people are glad that you're there because mm. they're protectors home, right? They're, they, they know that you got their back. They know that you've, if you had some conflict or strife out there that you left it at the doorstep and when you mm-hmm. interact with them, you're, you're interacting with them in a loving and peaceful and a way of a protector and a way of a leader. Uh, he thought that was a better life and that's been my experience and that's what I hope and wish for each of you out there uh, that you can uphold that creed and you will live a better life too. 
Mm, yeah, that's that's a really good way to put it, and a great way to end it off as well. So, Craig, thank you so much for coming on. You know, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and you know, I've had a lot of fun talking to you, and I've also gotten much more insightful as well thanks to you. So, yeah, thanks again for your time. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It's been a great experience for me too. I love all your questions. They've been very thought-provoking. And thank you to all you guys and gals out there too who are listening to this. I really appreciate you listening in and taking your time to mm-hmm. to uh, tune yeah. into us. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. Thanks again.